Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The role of the prophet is not an easy one. Prophets are rarely the most popular kids at school. They're more likely the ones who sit alone in the corner of the cafeteria, eating their lunch by themselves because their conversational skills aren't necessarily uplifting or fun or even funny, let alone light and entertaining. Prophets can be those intense people who tell it like it is, often too bluntly, too honestly, too intensely, and even too painfully. They may see the same things we see, but they are the ones willing to call them out, to acknowledge them, and to say, these are the things that have to change. I imagine prophets of biblical times would have had a heyday with today's world, especially during the past few weeks with our presidential election. Prophets tell it like it is. And frankly, we often shy away from prophets because sometimes the truth is too painful for us to hear. This week was a very busy week for me. I had been out of town all last week, and so you can imagine the size of my inbox on my mail email when I got to work on Monday morning. I had emails to catch up on, projects to deal with, visits and phone calls to make, and of course, a sermon to write. And while the sermon was always pressing on my mind this week, I found myself postponing it, trying to deal with my emails and my inbox, or working on another project. I read and I reread the verses from Micah many times throughout the week, and yet my actual sermon writing process wasn't moving ahead as quickly as I like. And it's not like me to postpone sermon writing. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. It wasn't until Friday morning when I had an aha experience. I even went down to the office to tell, to tell Deb Kemmerer, I figured it out, why my sermon was getting postponed subconsciously all week long. And I read to her a line from the commentary on Micah. Quote, the first three chapters of Micah are very critical and condemning of leaders who abuse their power and authority. These texts do not make us comfortable, and we often avoid them. The church has often decided that the condemning side of the prophet's message is intended for someone else, either ancient or modern. Now, I had known all week long that the words that Micah was saying were words that would be or could be just as applicable in our day as in Micah's. And it's easier to read a story when you know how it's going to end, like we often know what's going to end at the end of the prophet's stories. But to read Micah's story and to put it into our lives today, to understand how it's affecting our world and how our world might be judged, is really very scary. And it's much easier to ignore it than to buckle down and to address it fully. 
Conrad Kanegi's book, Roadsides from the Journey, which I'm sure some of you have read and at least some of you are familiar with, is a sociological book, a description of the current Mennonite church that just came out within the past couple of years. In his book, Kanegi points out many changes that are happening in the Mennonite church that they have experienced over the past few decades, including challenges, sins, and dilemmas. Now, some persons, when they've read Kanegi's book, have embraced it and acknowledged and accepted and agreed with the book's findings. However, Kanegi also reports that he regularly finds that many churches, many Mennonites, find it hard to acknowledge the realities facing the Mennonite church today. People will tell him, well, Conrad, that's not how it is in my church. You didn't really ask anybody to fill out a survey from my church, did you? Our church is different. That must be about churches in other parts of the United States or other parts of the Mennonite church. Conrad said he finds how suddenly people become so defensive when we point out our flaws and our weaknesses as a denomination. It's never easy to look into a mirror, especially an honest mirror. And Kanegi's book is an honest mirror about the Mennonite church in the 21st century, stating the need to change something in order for our declining denomination to grow. Now, Micah, like Kanegi, had some pretty tough real things to tell his people who would listen to him. Micah knew that his people were going to face some pretty major upcoming disasters, Worse was the fact that the rulers of the times, the kings, the priests, even other non-biblically-based prophets were largely responsible for the coming disasters because the leaders didn't bother to warn the people what was coming so that they could anticipate it, so that they could repent of their ways and they could change and thus avert the calamity ahead. Instead, the leader said, you know, it'd be a little bit easier if we spoke the words that the people wished to hear, if we told them we were really going well here and we didn't have to worry about what was going on, let's just tell them what they want to hear rather than God's truth. They were telling the people what they wanted to hear versus what they needed to hear. And Micah couldn't just stand back and watch, even though I suspect that would have been incredibly easy. Michael believed the leaders of the community had a responsibility for leading the people in a way that would ensure their safety and their well-being. The primary issue in Micah's message is the critical ministry of truth-telling. And that is God's honest truth, so that the people of God are not devastated. The leader of Israel in Micah's time absolutely totally failed on two counts. They failed to put God ahead of themselves, and they failed to put the responsibility for the welfare of God's people ahead of their own good. Now, John Jewell breaks it down in two ways. He said to put God first means that they would speak on God's behalf to the people of God, even if the people didn't want to hear the truth. They didn't want to tell the truth because they were to be afraid that it would offend the people, and perhaps they would even lose their power. But because these folks controlled the purse strings of society, they were more inclined to tell them what they wanted to hear. 
And bearing number two, the responsibility for teaching God's people is critical to the spiritual maturity and welfare of the people. To twist and change or otherwise corrupt the message God wants to deliver, well, it's to do serious damage to the people of God. But you might wonder, isn't Micah only talking to the leaders of the day? Isn't that to whom he's addressing this passage They were the dishonest ones. So maybe this text shouldn't be preached to all of you. Maybe it should be wrapped up and sent to Washington, D.C. Or maybe at least to Elkhart, Indiana for our denominational heads. Or perhaps to our church board at their next church board meeting next door. Or perhaps maybe just Pastor Ron and I should really be the ones reading this as leaders of this church. But this message is for all of us. It is for all of us who teach Sunday school of any age. For those of us who have any sort of supervisory role in our jobs. For those of us who have children. For those of us who attend a church that has children. For those of us who believe Jesus' call is to share the gospel with all people. We have leadership roles in this world and thus we are called to tell the truth of God as Micah is calling all leaders to do. As anybody who has ever lived in Lancaster City or who has frequented the streets of Lancaster City, you know that on-street city parking is of critical need. I live in a house that the only place to park is on the street, and so I am very aware of all the different parking signs around my house, the times you can park and when you can't park, and street cleaning and all the etc. But I can always tell when somebody is parking on my street or nearby street that isn't from the city because there'll be a car there during street cleaning day and they'll inevitably get a ticket or whatever the case may be. And often as I'm walking along, I will see somebody pull up and park during a street cleaning day or in a no parking zone or whatever the case may be. And I always stop and I hesitate and I think, should I tell them? Is it any of my business where they park? Is it my responsibility to make sure they don't get a ticket? Surely they can read the signs just as well as I can. Or do I tell them? Well, nine times out of ten, I usually tell them. And nine times out of ten, the reaction is always the same. They look at me as though it was my law, my rule, that I set the rule that they can't park there. And they act like, well, where am I supposed to park? And I just tell them, hey, I'm just trying to help you out from not getting you a ticket. And then their attitude changes, and they become grateful of the realization. But it's funny how they don't want to hear, they don't want to be pointed out that they've done something wrong until I tell them and make blunt what the ramifications of their decision might be. I usually don't stick around to see if they move their car or not. It's easy to tell the truth when the truth is what people want to hear, when they're not in a rush to run into a building from where they have just parked. It's easy for politicians to denounce the current governmental practices when the economy is in crisis and a political campaign is on the line. It's easy to support the Philadelphia Phillies when they win the World Series. It's not so easy to support the Chicago Cubs when they haven't seemed to be winning the series for a hundred years. 
It's not so easy to tell your boss that you don't like the current marketing plan which you are to oversee at work. It's not easy to tell someone that you love that you don't see a future in the relationship and you think you need to stop dating. It's not easy to stand up for someone of a different race when she or he is being mistreated because of their skin color. It's not easy to lay down the law firmly, tough love, when your teenage son or daughter is doing things that you don't agree with. It's not easy to tell rich people that they may be, need to give up some of their wealth in order to help the poor. And it's not easy for us to give up some of our wealth in order to help those in need. Micah knew that people are more receptive to hear what they want to hear than often what God has for us. After all, there aren't any material rewards for harsh words that are spoken by Micah. The victims of an unjust system of government and religion can't pay, cannot pay the prophets to speak up. Why don't you just say these good things on our behalf? But the wealthy and the powerful people, by contrast, are able to reward those that speak, who, who will perform their dirty work for them. And further, they can make it incredibly unpleasant for anyone who challenges them. To speak out against them is to be courageous, like Micah. It means calling to the front those things which may hurt us to hear, both corporately and even personally. Micah makes it clear to us that our sense of spirituality is challenged by our relationship with those who are in need. And when justice isn't present, well, then peace cannot be found either. When evil is, is at work in a society, everyone suffers, not just those who are being, being singled out for special retribution. The sins of others brings pain to the innocent. Wrong that is done against one will have eventually a negative effect on all. And if we stand idly by while some are treated unfairly, in the belief that it has absolutely nothing to do with me, we may be in for an unpleasant surprise. There may be more love in a well-placed warning than in passive permissiveness that sees the danger ahead and says nothing. And so this was the challenge facing the prophets, who once they knew what was coming, once they heard God's voice, they were accountable to share that message with others. It's also easy to forget that Jesus himself was a prophet. We who are Christians consider him our Messiah. But he had a very prophetic role. The Muslim faith actually considers Jesus as one of the great prophets. And Jews consider him a great teacher. So, Jew, so Jesus, too, knew the, what it was like to speak the words that are hard for some people to hear. He did it often. But we don't always remember the harsh words of Jesus, thinking they were directed towards the Pharisees or the Sadducees or Roman authorities. They weren't directed towards us. But like Micah, Jesus calls all of us to examine the plank in our own eye before pointing out the speck in somebody else's. But through his prophetic voice, 
Jesus always assures us, like Micah does in chapter 3, verse 11, that God's presence will always be with us. And we will feel the presence in the sense of peace. When Jesus promises peace in the book of John that Ian read for us, he is answering the overall question that is being posed for that section. Can the disciples still love Jesus after he's gone from this earth? Can the next generation love Jesus without having had a personal relationship with him? Now, ultimately, I believe that all of us, every one of us here, desires an intimate relationship with Jesus. The kind of relationship that comes when one has lived and walked and been very close to a human Jesus. But here the disciples were asking Once you leave us, Jesus, how are we still supposed to love you? How will we know that you still love us? And Jesus assured them that we, as humans, demonstrate our love to Jesus when we tell the world about our relationship with Jesus by keeping his commandments and doing his works. When when the disciples or when any of us move outside of our own private experience of Jesus, when we live what Jesus has taught and demonstrated in his life, then we will find ourselves once again in Jesus' love. Now, one of the things that the English language does not do, but many other languages have, is second-person plural case. Unless you live in the south part of the United States, then they have y'all. But the concept of you all isn't something we would have in our Bibles. But if we were to read the passage from John, it would actually say you all every time you was written. Because in the Greek text, this, these words that Jesus was offering were second person plural. They were not to one individual. And so the promises of the divine presence that Jesus gave to us are promises made to an entire community, not just to one individual. Jesus does not promise his peace, his own return to an individual, but to a community who lives in love. Verse 27 in John passage uses the word peace, which we often hear, peace I leave with you. And the Greek word irene, or the Hebrew word salam, or shalom, is a typical farewell address that people would use during Jesus' time. When they would be leaving homes, they would often, instead of saying, see you later, or goodbye, they would even give one of these peaceful greetings of irene, or shalom. And you even often will hear uh, persons of Jewish descent say that when they leave. But Jesus is not just saying goodbye here. He has promised his disciples that he won't ever leave them. He promises them that they will never be orphaned. And so he's not saying, see you later, but see you so that you will always forever live in the peace of Jesus Christ. One commentator noted that the peace that Jesus offers is not the world's peace, neither the false promise of security or the absence of conflict. The peace that Jesus gives is his peace, a peace that derives from the heart of Jesus' life. 
The peace of Jesus is that all-embracing sphere of his life, his love, his joy. The gift of peace rests at the center of our eschatological hope. But Jesus' words are not words of complacency. He's not merely telling the disciples, don't worry, be at peace. But he is calling the disciples, he is calling all of us to find strength to face the new circumstances in which Jesus' departure places them. Jesus' words are indeed prophetic. Like Micah, Jesus is calling his people to be a part of the call to put honesty and integrity first, to put love ahead of greed, to seek justice for all people, to sacrifice our reputation, our comfort, our popularity, our prestige, in order to put forth the message of God so that all may live with justice and that all of us, not just a few individuals, but that all of us may live with the gift of Jesus' presence. Amen.